Okay. Today, my guest is Professor Roger Strange. I'll keep my introduction short to maximize our time with him. In the next 30 minutes or so, you'll talk about Roger as a person. Professor Strange is a thought leader and an esteemed scholar, and finally is a mentor to many patients and junior faculty. For the sake of time, I'll skip many of his accomplishments and give you a very quick snapshot. Professor Strange is a fellow and a former president of the European International Business Academy, EIBA. He organized the 12, uh, 2012 EIBA uh, annual conference at Sussex and 2007 AIB UK uh, annual conference at King's College London. Roger Strange is the co-editor-in-chief of the International Business Review, a senior editor of the Asia-Pacific Journal of Management, and sits on the editorial boards of JIBS, Journal of International Business Policy, the Journal of World Business, Global Strategy Journal, the Asia-Pacific Business Review, and Journal of Management and Governance. Roger has authored, co-authored, or edited over 14 books, 100 journal articles and book chapters, including the popular textbook, Research Methods in Business Studies. Thank you, Roger, for joining us. Thank you, Augusto, for the invitation. First question, what did you want to become when you were a child? Well, I grew up in a small town called Stroud in the west of England, and my, my father owned a grocery shop. So for much of my childhood, I anticipated um, following in his footsteps. Um, sadly, my father died when I was a teenager and the business had shut down a couple of years earlier than that. So uh, that anticipation was thwarted, if that's the right way of putting it. Um, I then was fortunate enough to uh, be awarded a, a, an undergraduate apprenticeship with British Aerospace. And I worked in their space systems division for a year before going to university. Uh, and then for four years at university and then for a year afterwards. Um, so that, those are my, my early days. Um, so, Roger, how did you choose academia? Well, that came along a little bit later. Having spent my undergraduate degree studying engineering, albeit as part of this double honours degree, after four years and also working for British Aerospace, I realised this really wasn't my calling. Um, and at the same time, I'd become more interested in the, the economics part of the, the degree and economics in general. So once I'd fulfilled my obligations to British Aerospace, I resigned and took a master's in economics at Birkbeck College in London. Um, and I quickly realized that uh, economics broadly defined was, was where I wanted to be. This was more interesting for me. Um, once, once I finished the master's, I then had two spells as a research officer on projects at Imperial College, one looking at the effects on the UK economy of North Sea oil, and the second looking at British manufacturing investment overseas. And I think it was particularly during the course of that second project, um, looking at British investment overseas and obviously coming in contact with a lot of the IB literature that I realised this was something I was interested in, I could relate to, and I might like to do for the rest of my career. Hmm. Interesting. And uh, something that is not on your CV that people might find interesting about you. Um, 
I spent, uh, after I'd finished at Imperial College, I, I got a lectureship at what was uh, then called Queen Elizabeth College, which merged with King's College London. And I spent a lot of my early career at King's. Um, and I used to teach there on the, the MSc in International Management degree. And I used to teach a core module in the first term on international economics and an elective in the second term on the business context in East Asia. Um, one of my colleagues overheard the students discussing their choice of elective, electives towards the end of the autumn term. Um, and one of the students sort of said, I'm going to choose Roger Strange's elective because he's a, an effing good lecturer. So <laughs> this is something I'm very proud of. And I wish I could put it on my CV, but <laughs> I haven't yet. Uh, well, uh, if you could do it all over again uh, or uh, change what you're doing today, what's the second best alternative career path for you? I think I have to say that having chosen to be an academic and, and it was um, it wasn't something I dreamed of doing when I was as a, a, a child. As I said, I had uh, other thoughts first. It was really only when I, I uh, got to Imperial and was doing this research project uh, that the idea of becoming an academic really sort of uh, crystallized in my mind. Um, and. And it's been a good choice. I, I've enjoyed almost all the aspects of it all, sort of doing my own research, teaching students, supervising PhD students, uh, and the freedom that goes with all of this to, to research topics you like and, and uh, the, the opportunities to travel. If there's one frustrating thing I think about being an academic, um, maybe it's uh, something that's particular to my career is the fact that um, maybe we don't have an immediate direct impact on any, on anything. We, we write our papers, they eventually hopefully get published. Um, hopefully a few years later, some people read them, but you're not actually changing very much in the world. Um, uh, and that's a bit frustrating. And I think if, if I hadn't been an academic Maybe I'd have liked to have gone into something where you maybe you have a bit more of a direct impact if you're if you're writing papers or, or writing reports that government departments actually pick up on these and act upon what you're suggesting. Um, maybe that's my, my my failing. I'm saying it's possible to do this as an academic. And here in Britain, at least, there's a lot of uh, uh, weight now put on generating impact from your research and I think that's no bad thing and, and maybe I should have put more effort into that during my career and then I wouldn't have uh, felt this frustration about in a sense not having a direct influence. Hmm. Interesting uh, I mean next question is regrets uh, have, you, have you got any regrets uh, does it connect to uh, some sort of a remorse that you're feeling or you would feel do you have any regrets in life? Um, <laughs> we've, we've all got regrets, but it's pointless sort of uh, dwelling on them because um, Hakuna Matata, as was says in a famous <laughs> film, a fil famous film. Um, <clears throat> if, there's, if there's one regret as regards my academic career, um, I looked upon this as a real opportunity at the start. I did my art masters at, at Birkbeck 
as I explained, and, and then went on to do two stints as a research officer at Imperial College. And after that, I got a lectureship. Um, and I thought at the time, this is great. I managed to skip doing a PhD and, and three or four years doing that, etc., uh, um, etc. Et and I thought this was, this was a great move. With the benefit of hindsight, I'm not so sure it was. Um, I think probably my, my longer term um, career objectives might have been better served by, once I'd done my master's, is going and doing a PhD with a, a good supervisor at a good school. I should have contacted John Dunning and asked to do a PhD with him at Reading, for example. Mm -hmm. And I think having that, uh, working with a, a senior scholar, um, learning, learning your trade, um, learning how to write and craft academic papers, do academic research, and also the help, you know, that supervisor would hopefully give you in, in publishing some papers. I think in the longer term, that would have, uh, that would have helped my career. But as I said, I didn't realise that at the, at the time. Uh, I jumped straight into a lectureship and, and then one way or another, I've sort of taught myself in many ways how to how to do the job. Sure, sure. I think Lorraine Eden also in her interview, she mentioned something similar to this about her choice of the school. Her choice, uh, it's not really a choice, really. Given those circumstances, that is the best outcome that you could think of at the moment. But uh, what are you most proud of? I think that it was it's not one thing in particular, but I think I've, I've, yes, I've built a career as an academic. I think over the years I've, I've had a steady stream of uh, what I like to think of are quite good publications. I think I've taught, I guess, thousands of students down the years. Um, many of them have been kind enough to uh, be very complimentary. I've supervised a number of PhD students, some of whom have gone on to become professors. Um, and I've also uh, played quite a major administrative role in, in the two institutions where I spent most of my time. Um, the first institution was King's College London, and I was very instrumental in setting up the Department of Management there, and I was the first head of department. And that's now grown exponentially, I might say, to, to become King's Business School and is one of the major business schools in, in the UK. Um, the second institution where I've uh, been working since 2009 is the University of Sussex. Sussex didn't have uh, a management department at that time, and it was a new initiative um, by the university. And uh, Ian Davidson was the first head of the new School of Business Management and Economics, and I was one of the professorial recruits to uh, set up a new business and management department. I was the international business professor, and, and one of my roles was to build up an IB group and help build up uh, the new school. Well, once again, the University of Sussex Business School has... Uh, grown in size exponentially um, and I'm proud to say that our IB group at Sussex is, is, has grown and is very successful and, it, and is thriving. So um, 
these two institutional achievements, again, I'm, I'm proud of as well, as well as my own sort of more personal achievements. Thank you. Now let's talk about uh, research. Say you're stranded in a small village, in a pub, uh, locals are curious about you. So how do you explain the importance of your research and what you do to people who don't read scholarly work? Uh, to layman. Yeah. Well, on my my CV, I, I I claim that I do research on um, the reasons for why firms outsource activities. I also look at corporate governance and the effects on firm strategies. I'm interested in why multi how and where multinationals locate their activities, um, and latterly the impact of new digital technologies on. Uh, international business theory and practice. Now, when I say that, that would scare the locals away if I put it like that. But um, I think if I was trying to explain it to, to non-academics, I'd say I'm, I'm looking at various aspects of international strategies of firms um, and, and how firms choose, if you like, the optimal strategies for them, given the conditions, and particularly how firms choose the optimal strategies for selling products overseas, which is effectively what international business is about. And so my research is looking at different strategies, looking at the alternatives, uh, trying to identify the best strategies in different circumstances, but also who might be affected by these strategies, both in a positive way and in a negative way. Uh, and that leads on to the possibility, at least, of being able to provide guidance for policymakers. To take one example, if one of my sort of streams of research is about how firms uh, outsource and offshore their activities, offshoring as a strategy may be um, very good news for the firms that are undertaking it, um, as it's a way of uh, reducing costs generally. Uh, and increasing profits. But clearly the people who found their jobs being offshored are not so happy about it. Um, and maybe the countries to which the jobs are being offshored uh, need to know a little bit about how they can maximize the value that's generated in their economies for the benefit of their economies. Mm. So I think my, my answer to the, the people in the pub would be, Again, focusing on international firms and their strategies and how firms uh, go about internationalization, how they manage their operations, and looking at the effects on both host economies and, and also on home economies. I mean, something uh, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago uh, made me think. Uh, you were talking about impact and how we need immediate impact or uh, strong impact in the field, right? And uh, yesterday I was reading an article on CNN uh, about eating pecans and kale. And pecans is good for bl blood sugar, it drops it immediately. Well, in one paragraph, it says eat pecans because it does all these great things. And then eat kale because it also does these things. Yeah, I will eat pecans and kale tomorrow. That is immediate impact. And yet, yes, our field is not like that. You know, what you just explained about your entire career, the likelihood of 
uh, a company reading it, thinking about it, doing it is uh, quite, uh, quite low, right? Actually, we are behind what they are doing and they are actually advancing uh, and doing things. We're trying to catch up with them, right? We're trying to, to catch up with and reason what they are doing. So I want to ask you about the omitted variables, things that we have neglected over time in IB research, things that we should have co covered more of, uh, thought about more uh, in IB. What those would be? Okay. Um, I think a lot of certainly mainstream IB research is uh, focused on multinationals as if you like, as benign orchestrators of, of global value chains um, and is focused on multinationals as lead firms trying to promote efficiency throughout global value chains and, and sort of global networks. Uh, and this, of course, is because a lot of mainstream IB research derives from the work of Ronald Coase, um, and Oliver Williamson and people like this. Um, but I think uh, IB needs to pay a bit more attention to, to power relationships and particular asymmetric power relationships uh, between firms and their suppliers, between firms and other firms in the same industries, between firms and their global value chain partners, between firms and governments. Um, it's not all about a sort of uh, a benign and equitable distribution of, of the income generated. Um, some firms have more influence than others um, <coughs> and are able to therefore capture disproportionate shares. And I think, uh, and governments and firms are always engaged in this sort of, uh, uh, this negotiation, ongoing negotiation about sort of who's going to, uh, you know, providing incentives on the one hand, trying to capture the value on the other hand. Um, and these kinds of issues we haven't, I don't feel in, in IB really devoted enough attention to the notion of power and asymmetric power relationships, maybe because power as a concept is actually quite difficult to, to conceptualize, it's even more difficult to measure. Um, and, and maybe that that's that's why we've tended to to shy away from it. But Again, if, if you sort of read certainly the political literature, um, power is very much central to that. And I think the international political economy literature. And I think we in, in IB need to, again, sort of embrace that kind of discussion rather more and those kinds of ideas rather more. How is the process, the research process for you? Uh, how do you come up with creative ideas? What do you do? With when you're sitting and thinking idle, there's this idle state of mind, idle curiosity. Uh, it's yes, good question. I'm saying, yeah. where do the ideas come from? Um, I guess most ideas come from conversations. Um, you know, conversations I with colleagues, conversations with friends, uh, conversations with with people who work in industry, and and it triggers a bit of an idea or or it's reading articles in newspapers and thinking how how might that play out um i i a couple of years ago i was invited to write a, a perspective piece for multinational business review on 
and, and I chose to write about new digital technologies, Industry 4.0. And my interest in this had come <laughs> about through partly through reading about these new technologies in The Economist and other magazines, um, partly from conversations. And, and so I'm thinking to myself, how's this, how's this, this is obviously going to affect how firms do their international business, but how? Um, and so it triggered an idea and, and I sort of tossed it around my mind and eventually I, I felt I had enough of a, a, enough to say to put it down on paper. So large, large time, most of the time it comes around through this, through conversations, through reading newspapers or, or magazines. Obviously, sometimes as well, it, it's reading learned journals and seeing what other people have published and thinking I can improve upon that. Um, so it comes from all kinds of sources, often when you're least expecting it, um, sometimes in the middle of the night, um, Often, often when I'm, I, I, I love to go out walking. Um, one of my hobbies, either trekking in mountains or just walking. And this is a great time to think. I find that I'm probably at my most creative when I'm out walking, um, either with somebody else or, or often on my own. And, and yeah, you know, tossing ideas around in your, your head and, and some of them you think, actually, I could, I could write that up as a paper. That would be interesting. Do you work every day? Do you write every day? Sorry? Do you work and write every day about uh, research? Um, or no? Um, not every day. Um, I, I think I have bursts of activity. Um, if, if I am writing, I have to become a bit obsessive <clears> about <throat> it. Uh, I have to really get involved in the paper, what I'm trying to, to, to do. And I have to almost ignore everything else. So I... I'll ignore email for a few days. I will ignore everything but essential activities and I'll just focus on it and, and work through weekends and work long days when I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. um, but that's when I'm kind of writing a paper because even now after whatever it is, 30, 40 years as an academic, um, writing doesn't come easily. I'm not one of these people who can sit down and either fluently write out something or can dictate it. I, I, writing is still a struggle. Um, and so, as I say, I have to become a bit obsessive about it. Uh, but once I finished a paper, yes, I, it's not that I want to start on another paper. Um, I would then, I like my holidays as well. I like my leisure activities. So mm -hmm. um, I, will, I will, yes, fit in some holidays or some leisure activities until the next paper comes along when I feel a bit obsessive. And then I almost have to set aside, yes, a week or two when I can really devote myself to it. Thank you. Roger, what can you say about the evolution uh, of the field and in the field, given all these different changes at the social level and all these macro forces impacting uh, what it was in the beginning and now where are we headed to? Well, I think um, it, um, Pervez Gauri, Fangley Cook, and I wrote a, a piece on the new realities of international business as, a, as an introduction to uh, the 30th anniversary issue of International Business Review. Uh, and we were emphasizing that um, there's a number of major 
trends in the world economy happening at the moment, the rise of economic nationalism and populism, uh, new digital technologies, which I've touched upon already, uh, climate change and the whole sustainability agenda, and these changing power relationships, which goes back to what, again, I was referring to early, earlier. And I think all of these things um, thrown together with, dare I say, the COVID pandemic, which um, hopefully for many of us seems to be easing, but even, even now is, is obviously causing issues in China um, and the war in Ukraine. Uh, the world is, is going through these convulsions at the moment, and, and there's these longer term trends, there's these sort of shorter term, medium term convulsions. This is all changing the environment for international business. Um, so we as scholars, and it, it touches on one of the comments you made a few moments ago, if, if we want to have impact, if we want to uh, actually help businesses and firms with their, their strategies, we need to try and explain the impacts of, of all of these things and, and how firms can respond to them. So in one sense, you know, for us as international business scholars, all this change is a godsend. Um, our, our basic questions about location, about control, about internalization against externalization, our basic questions may be, may be the same, uh, but the environment has changed and maybe the solutions have changed. Um, and here I'm reminded of the, um, the apocryphal story of, of the, I think it was an economics professor who found out that the students had discovered that the questions on their exam paper were exactly the same as those the previous year. And the professor was told that the students had found this out and his response was, well, the questions might be the same, but the answers are different, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, thank you. How about uh, <clears throat> mentoring and advising? Uh, is there one thing uh, that you wish you had known or discovered early on that would save you so much time, pain and agony along the way? Well, I think it, it goes back to the point I made earlier. I, I really wish I'd done a PhD at a good university with an experienced scholar, because I think it's, um, I think doing a large number of the early years of my career, I effectively did them in isolation. Um, and therefore, having, there's a lot you have to learn about, not just, it's not just about reading the literature and, and writing things and, and coming up with interesting ideas. It's about crafting papers, about how you go about publishing material. Um, and also working on your own is, is difficult. You, you need somebody to, to look at your work, to give you feedback on your ideas, to give you feedback on your written material. Um, and I think if, yes, if there's, again, one piece of advice I'd give to people building on my own career, it was, yes, try and do a PhD, do a PhD, <laughs> Ideally, with the, the best supervisor you can find at the, uh, in the best department, with, with the best set of colleagues, because you can learn a lot from your colleagues, the people around you. Um, and I look back and I think well, one of the most productive, both in terms of quality and in quantity, parts of my career. And it's been when I've been surrounded by good colleagues, 
and we're either working together or at least we, we, we create, there's a, a culture there for doing research. Um, and, and that helps you. Doing research in isolation, especially if you're in a department where there isn't that culture, is very difficult. True, true. <clears throat> the easiest part was doing the uh, seminars and uh, methods, but crafting the paper, writing the paper, I was lucky. I was lucky because Odette Shankar, my IB advisor, and Jay Barney, my strategy advisor, uh, they, they are great in crafting papers, but it took years to learn how to uh, write the same sentence over and over. And uh, it is an experience that you have to really dedicate a lot of time and effort to. Uh, they can teach you the material, but they can't teach you how to craft the paper, and writing papers actually is crafting, uh, craftsmanship. Um, what are some of the things, top three mistakes that you see junior faculty or PhD students make? And some of the things that you say, you would say, uh, give advice to them as uh, do these things to make your life easier. Well, the first one will be just picking up on your last comment there. I think learning how to craft a paper and um, my experience Initially, as being a well, still as being a reviewer for for papers at several journals, and particularly having taken over as editor in chief or co-editor in chief of International Business Review, a lot of the papers that we that get submitted, and even some of the ones which are we send out to review, the weakness is often in the the, the theory, the theoretical arguments um, underpinning the hypotheses. Is with many papers, there's a sense that oh, we've got we've got lots of data. We found out some empirical results. <laughs> we'll kind of spin some kind of story around it, um, but the story is is very very weak. And and often when you're reviewing a paper, and I find it not just for IBR but for other journals, it's those theoretical arguments underpinning the hypotheses, and that's the real contribution of a paper, and, and those. Those are very, very weak often. Um, and so my advice to junior scholars is you know, really concentrate on that. And for that, of course, you need to do a lot of reading. You need to understand the literature on your particular topic. You need to have a broader awareness of different theories and different perspectives. Um, and writing those sections, and again, I think this is something which, again, working with more established colleagues, getting other people to read your work can help you here. Um, it, it, it's something that takes time to, to really understand and to learn how to do effectively. Thank you. <clears throat> Last question. <clears throat> What's the question I should have asked you about Evans? I think probably if I, was, if I was in your place, I would have asked, I would have asked my interviewees who is the, or what is the, the paper or the book or the person who maybe most influenced you at the start of your career? And what is the paper or the book or the person that, that you're gaining most inspiration from now? Very good. <laughs> you thrown it back to me. For me, I guess it was, again, as early in my career, 
I'd have to pick out John Dunning's work and, and John, Dunning's, John Dunning's work, his eclectic framework. Uh, I thought this is a great way of explaining in actually fairly simple terms how firms choose between alternative strategies for, for entering foreign markets. And that that's the sort of, in a sense, the core part of international business. And I remember being very um, yes, taken with that as a theory. Um, and, and the fact he was able, again, having come from an economics background where everything was explained mathematically, and to me at least, this made it completely obtuse uh, and, and uh, unintelligible. To read Dunning's work, which was explained in very, very good English, very clearly, and yet to my mind very powerfully, uh, was, a, was a major influence. So I thought, these are important issues. Uh, I can understand what he's saying here. This is a field I'd like to, to contribute to. Um, mm. More latterly, I've, I've been reading um, in the last couple of years some of David Teese's work on uh, who profits from firms' innovation. Um, and I find that, again, very insightful as well. Thank you so much for your time. I learned a lot. I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm sure the audience will agree with me. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Ogos. Thank you again for the invitation.